بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لیڈیز اینڈ جینٹلمین السلام علیکم اینڈ ویلکم ٹو ایپیزوڈ نائن آف دا پاکستان جیو اسٹریٹجک ریویو پوڈ کاسٹ ود یور ہوسٹ زکی خالد ایز آلویز یو فائنڈ مائی سمریز نوٹ فار دی ایکسٹریکٹس اینڈ کامنٹس آن ایشوز وچ آئی فاؤنڈ ویری انٹرسٹنگ اینڈ ناٹ پرٹیکولرلی ہائی لائٹیڈ ایٹ لیسٹ ان پاکستان for the past two weeks and there is going to be this time the opening segment on China's logistics capabilities for expeditionary operations will uh, consume uh, a major portion of this uh, episode and we begin by first of all mentioning that uh, the author of this report Uh, Mr. Chad Peltier, he's an, um, a senior consultant and analyst for Jane's, the world-renowned uh, defense and intelligence uh, analysis group, um, who specializes in um, open source intelligence and sa- satellite imagery intelligence and other defense products. And <coughs> um, This um, this report has just been released two days ago uh, on the website of the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. Uh, but uh, Mr. Ch- Peltier uh, testified on it before the commission in Feb 2020, which means that uh, they took about a month to uh, publish this report for the public to read as well. And uh, the interesting aspect of this report is that it's uh, primarily OSINT based and uh, the uh, sources they've used to, um, they means uh, Mr. Peltier and uh, his two assistant research uh, analysts who helped him with, uh, I'm sure they helped him with data collection. And uh, um, they also employed uh, satellite imagery analysis. Now that's something Jane's is uh, known for. They have an expertise in that. So it's basically a mix of uh, OSINT and uh, IMINT. Uh, uh, and in some instances, you can find some discrete references to Jane's sources, these unspecified sources. So one assumes that uh, they are uh, human sources. So, OSINT is the major chunk, uh, next is IMINT, and then we have a little bit of uh, HUMINT involved. It's a very interesting report. It's not as academic as it uh, as other scholars at the Center for New American Security or uh, Center for Strategic and International Studies or um, Heritage Foundation or some other think tank. Uh, it's not as academic as um, you would read on these other uh, forums, but um, it does make for a concise and to the point data sourced uh, uh, input on what to expect regarding the uh, People's Liberation Army's expeditionary operations into the future. The outlook which uh, This report presents leads up till at least 2035 and it makes for a very interesting reading. I would recommend that uh, if you're uh, directly involved in uh, defense or foreign policy, you should uh, 
download a copy and uh, go through the entire report because it has uh, many specific domain related uh, terminologies and concepts which have been explained chronologically as well as consequentially. Uh, I'm just going to highlight those which I found were uh, specific to or relevant to Pakistan's interests not necessarily of Pakistan but related to it somehow and con definitely concerning it provides some good knowledge also for analysts in Pakistan including myself so I'll begin with reading out the some of the extracts from the report which are basically um, uh, summaries which I've made on the report's contents if there's anything which I'm quoting in verbatim, I'll uh, intimate that accordingly. So the first thing is that, uh, quoting in verbatim, it says that China will primarily rely on overseas military logistics support from commercial facilities throughout the Indian Ocean region, Red Sea and Africa through approximately 2030. Additionally, there are a few sites in friendly countries such as Pakistan and Cambodia that could serve as military logistics facilities similar to China's first overseas military base in Djibouti. Unquote. So, um, while they have highlighted several possible countries which could serve as uh, PLA military bases in the future, uh, in the opening paragraphs you could see that they've prominently highlighted Pakistan and Cambodia. So you have one country in South Asia or West Asia and one in Southeast Asia. Um, the report goes on to say that uh, they have basically described four or five different types of uh, facilities which could be used for military logistics and one of them is um, the dual use of commercial port infrastructures which could serve as a warehouse for covert military stockpiles. And Mr. Peltier is very specific about it that he includes uh, Gawadar in this category and just to a lesser extent when we talk about Barthing, he talks about Karachi but more on that uh, in the subsequent points. Uh, to support his argument Mr. Peltier says and he quotes rather uh, earlier articles published by the Chinese Naval Research Institute and Army Transportation Academy and coincidentally both of these won the Navy and won the Army Academy from China. They suggested a few years ago that uh, Pakistan could serve as a future military site for the PLA. Several other countries were suggested but Pakistan happens to be one of those countries which were mentioned by both. So not only is uh, their talk of um, you know um, airlift capabilities but also we are talking about um, uh, bases from the marine angle. It says that um, Gawadar could potentially be used as a military logistics base for China. Uh, Mr. Peltier notes that Gawadar's selection would make sense from a military logistics perspective and that it is within the maximum range of China's Y-20 transport aircraft from the Chengdu Chonglai airbase. He says further that the smaller dock can berth, the smaller dock in Gawadar, according to his estimation, can berth one Type 56A Corvette, while the larger dock in Gawadar can berth two Type 52D 
or type 55 destroyers or one carrier and one destroyer or four type 54 a frigates so basically uh, peltier here has tried to um, guess what sort of uh, maritime assets the pla navy could uh, deploy uh, in the two berths at gawadar on karachi uh, he mentions that uh, it has substantial maintenance facilities and the naval base in the area can accommodate up to seven type 52 destroyer groups now um, <clears throat> the issue is that uh, peltier also believes in research and uh, conducted earlier by his more um you can say uh, senior um, colleagues elsewhere who uh, asserted that karachi would be more feasible and more practical of a berthing spot for the pla navy as compared to gawadar for a variety of reasons not only infrastructural but also uh, some other uh, maintenance supplies issues as well and peltier supports this argument he goes on to say that china is likely to focus on a pla navy basing opportunities and commercial access arrangements through 2030 because it can project a larger force via ocean transport than through the air this disparity between the chinese naval and air power projection capabilities <clears throat> is stark and will likely remain so until the pla air force is able to introduce more y20s into service so uh, because uh, in peltier's assessment uh, the pla air force does not have the strategic airlift capabilities it needs as of yet therefore the naval component will be more adequate and suitable for power projection he says that if china's expeditionary naval capabilities are insufficient to sustain major combat operations against india before approximately 2025 to 2030 in the indian ocean they would also be <clears throat> they would also be unable to sustain major expeditionary combat operations against the united states this is something which i haven't read anywhere else at least as far as um, various think tank reports which i have studied over the years and it actually say uh, he is actually asserting that um if the pla navy pla navy is unable by at maximum 2030 to provide a sufficient deterrent against the indian navy then uh, it automatically implies that it's uh, going to uh, remain inferior against uh, the us naval presence in, in the larger pacific zone this is a very interesting point it is therefore possible says peltier that the pla navy could use sites such as dar es salaam and mombasa among other cosco ports not as formal military resupply bases but as dual use nodes for a largely civilian port network that nevertheless serves planned ships in an expeditionary capacity cosco the china ocean shipping corporation has numerous container ships operating in the region as part of its fleet of 1318 vessels the third largest in the world other cosco ships stop at port colombo sri lanka karachi pakistan and jeddah saudi arabia all of which are both notable belt and road initiative locations and or locations visited previously by pla navy ships on gulf of aden deployments uh, so basically uh, while pakistan 
has been a consistent focus of uh, this report by Jane's prepared for um, the US-China Economic and Security Review Commission. The fact of the matter remains that there are two ports which particularly stand out. One is Gwadar and the other is Sithvi port in Malaysia, uh, Myanmar. And I personally believe that uh, as far as uh, Peltier's reporting is concerned that they've carried out satellite imagery analysis then this is something which uh, was carried out according to the timestamp on the images of Gawadar in December 2019. So, so which obviously means that uh, the study for uh, PLA expeditionary capabilities was uh, requested much before that. It takes quite some time to analyze satellite imagery and then collate that with other sources of information, uh, open sources or otherwise, which one has gathered. So one could easily say that this report took almost, um, was um, requested for preparation sometime uh, in early or middle of 2019. And uh, they, uh, this uh, very clearly shows that uh, uh, as far as uh, viewing China's expanding capabilities are concerned uh, throughout Peltier's report you'll find references and hyphenations to the Belt and Road Initiative. Now however and what uh, wherever uh, China operates uh, the US security establishment and also its uh, analytic community always tends to um, associate the BRI with the PLA. So uh, in Pakistan, uh, we try to dehyphenate them and uh, uh, take BRI as a purely uh, geoeconomic uh, project. Whereas uh, it is clear from uh, Peltier's report um, um, published by Jane's that they uh, it is they view it as a completely from a security uh, perspective, and the fact that they continue to amplify this narrative that the BRI, the infrastructure is associated with Chinese shipping companies and port companies and infrastructure development companies that they could act as, uh, you know, agents for the PLA and its uh, military services. Uh, to what extent that is true or not is not the question, but the fact is that any sort of economic outreach by China is perceived by the U.S. Uh, 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 intelligentsia as some sort of covert PLA efforts to influence the region around them. And I think this is one of the major dilemmas which Pakistan has been facing particularly since CPEC was uh, announced and there were perpetual fears about Gawadar purportedly being uh, envisioned as a PLA Navy base in the future and this rhetoric was uh, was obviously fully exploited by the Indian security establishment, especially the Indian Navy. Uh, you can read several commentaries on this by um, former Indian naval chiefs on how they've repeatedly stressed Gawadar to be a point of concern, not just for India, but the whole Indian Ocean region. So, uh, and obviously this is what prompted and necessitated uh, America's growing interest in the Western Indian Ocean region. 
along East Africa. And this is where uh, we'll need to, Pakistan needs to work hard and try to uh, de-securitize uh, anything or everything which has to do with the BRI. Uh, we have our cooperation with uh, the PLA Army, Navy, Air Force and Marine Corps at various levels and they are distinct and separate from any or all sort of economic collaborations taking place and um, this could also be exacerbated by uh, the perceived lack of transparency around CPEC projects and one assumes that this is why uh, such narratives and reports. I personally considered that uh, Peltier's reporting is somewhat nuanced uh, but it does uh, try to mostly uh, endorse uh, anti-China uh, narratives being propagated by members of hawkish uh, think tanks in uh, the US. So uh, in that larger context, this report does not come as a surprise. But the fact that uh, they've mentioned uh, expeditionary capabilities and they've carried out a detailed force posturing assessment based on the type of uh, military hardware that um, may be un uh, undergoing production in China. This makes for uh, recommended reading for security analysts in Pakistan and uh, this is something which uh, needs to be uh, read thoroughly by members of the defense and foreign policy establishment in Pakistan. Coming to the next topic, which is uh, Xi Putin defiance against politicization of COVID-19. Now we all know I don't need to repeat uh, what has been going on in uh, the Western press and especially um, uh, equally amplified by the paranoid Indian media uh, that uh, they claim the uh, novel coronavirus or COVID-19 is as I quote CCP virus unquote <clears throat> they're basically trying to allege that uh, or claim rather that uh, the coronavirus was uh, being manufactured in Wuhan as part of a PLA bioweapon and uh, project and it was uh, in, uh, allegedly allegedly it was uh, spread to create chaos around the world and thereby provide China with an opportunity to project its power and rush to the aid of countries and try to um, gather as much uh, uh, support through winning people's hearts and minds as possible. And there are a lot of conspiracy theories on this. How much of it is true or not that uh, remains to be seen for later. One is not in a position to speculate. What one can say with certainty is that, uh, or with interest rather, is that uh, General Scott Miller, uh, or the US Joint Chief, he uh, recently issued a statement in which he said that uh, there is no, uh, in which he implied that there is no conclusive evidence that uh, China was involved in um, manufacturing of the coronavirus or trying to intentionally distribute it through some lab. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sorry, uh, not uh, General Scott Miller, 
um there is a, another uh, american general who was uh, part of the process who said rejected the notion uh, not uh, unequivocally but he denied these rumors so it's general mark a milly the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff who said that uh, the weight of evidence of covid being developed in a lab is extremely um, suspicious so th there is no conclusive intelligence uh, to support any or such assertions but despite these facts obviously the media in the west and especially some organs which uh, i have personally seen of uh, pro white movements the white supremacist movement in the us they have been uh, conspiracy theorists and there are some um these conspiracy theory websites in the us including uh why on news of india being more most prominent and then we have the asian news international ani news agency uh of uh, india which mentioned uh, one belt one road as one belt one road and one virus so you can see that uh, consistent barrage of propaganda against uh, the chinese communist party and uh, especially china as a whole as a country uh, accusing them of being the originators or creators of the uh, what they call the wuhan coronavirus and we obviously refer to it as the novel coronavirus <clears throat> covid-19 so she and putin they held a telephone call on thursday night which is the 16th of april uh, president xi jinping of china and his russian counterpart vladimir putin had a telephone call and this is the second phone call in the same month uh, to be noted and she said that under putin's strong leadership russia would surely be able to control the spread of the pandemic i quote as soon as possible unquote now obviously this is not unusual these are just statements of a firm authority you support by one leader to another and this this is the sort of language you would uh, read uh, in press statements by uh, leaders of the central asian republics in which they uh, praise each other's leadership uh, credentials and their uh, potentials and all that but um, he also noted president xi that i quote politicizing and assigning labels over the covid-19 pandemic are detrimental to international cooperation unquote no obviously uh, uh, they would be referring to uh, multiple states who are involved in uh, uh, launching smear campaigns against china or targeting the ccp leadership but one could very easily assume that the main subject of discussion would have been the united states of america and its attitude toward china in this regard uh, there are some interesting comments uh, by yang jin he is an associate research fellow at the institute of russian eastern european and central asian studies at the chinese academy of social sciences now for people who have been studying china since long everybody knows what cas is so yang jin says I quote if no one can stop the west from politicizing the pandemic 
the competition among major powers in the future could be unimaginable and unpredictable as the public health crisis could escalate to far worse situations including war unquote and he also goes on to say i quote china and russia are playing a powerful and responsible stabilizer to deterring the west from politicizing the pandemic and helping the world avoid encountering a more destructive crisis in the future unquote i think uh, so one needed mention that uh, these statements these very strong statements uh the comments by yang jin by the way were published uh in the global times which is known to be quite a hawkish uh newspaper from china and uh, the people who contribute their opinion pieces um on global times are mostly those or the, from whom comments have been solicited are mostly those people who are you can call them um mouthpieces of the uh, respective security establishments now if we talk about global times there are many um op-eds published by chinese and russian thinkers including some from uh, a few other countries as well uk and uh, france and this comment by yang jin in which he says that uh, war can also take place uh, resulting from um, uh, efforts global efforts to <clears throat> counter and combat the corona virus now if a young associate research fellow is making these strong comments and then this is not him talking this is the people uh who have uh, who are part of the system who have who are speaking through him and this is something you have to read between the lines it's very clear here and um, the fact that uh, they're talking about a war resulting from failure of particular states from not being able to uh, control the pandemic speaks volumes i mean just recently uh, there was a very interesting webinar organized by the center for strategic and contemporary research in islamabad it was an online uh, seminar webinar uh, discussing the altered state of the world post covid-19 and uh, uh, the first speaker uh, the first panelist dr rabia akhtar who is director of the center for security strategy and policy research at university of lahore um, she's also a, a renowned nuclear policy analyst she um mentioned this point about a global competition in which states uh, the US would try its best to beef up its uh, military prowess and other non traditional aspects of security to try to retain its image um and not appear weak in and that's basically what all states do uh, the more they invest in their militaries and uh, other means of soft power they're trying to tell the world that they're not weak and the fact that the us is uh has suffered deaths in five figures uh, we are talking about casualties caused due to corona virus so this means that um they are feeling the heat 
and uh, in response it is very much expected that they would uh, retort against china and try to shore up support and rhetoric which could uh, escalate to a situation leading to war obviously one wouldn't expect that uh, such a situation would arise based on a pandemic because there are too many risks involved and there are many other countries which would try to dissipate any such uh, attempts from any side at all uh, and uh, the world at this stage cannot afford a war even the us itself is not in a position if, even if they want to beef up their security or whatever they are not in a position i mean uh, as far as the different uh, arms of the us armed forces are concerned the us navy has been severely hit and impacted adversely by the novel coronavirus now you're talking about just recently i was reading another comment on by a, another chinese um, scholar and he said that the us uh, bat, uh, carrier battle groups in the um, pacific region asia pacific uh, they are in no position uh to fight as they would have assumed because they've faced blows uh, with the detection of covid on board various aircraft carriers in particular uss theodore um and this is uh, something which i also mentioned um in one of my earlier uh, pieces for cscr on the post covid operational environment um there is an element of uncertainty which will remain and when you talk about um war resulting from failure to manage uh, or control covid then this would uh, ultimately arise because of uh, there being little to no understanding between china and the us particularly you wouldn't find this sort of strategic competition despite corona among any and any other countries and still the fact that the us and china are at loggerheads speaks volumes and uh, the chinese and russian leadership uh, has been assuring each other of um, mutual support and trust and trying to dissuade uh, attempts by what they call attempts by the west to sow discord among these countries or trying to Uh, give them a perception that they are not able to steer the future of the region and uh, an unfortunate aspect of this is that it, it, it seems to be that uh, the united states of america are is gradually losing its relevancy uh, as we further uh, go into the second wave of uh, novel coronavirus this is something which the chinese and russian leadership understands uh china in particular has been very uh, open about it uh, they have immediately started bo- boosting their image abroad by sending supplies and other equipment whereas the us is primarily mired in an internal crisis uh, in the same webinar which i referred to a bit earlier the one organized by cscr uh, michael kugelman uh, a south asia analyst was also part of the panel and he very clearly mentioned that um the states uh, in the uh, across the us are carrying out their uh, counter covid efforts independently and according to him are faring much better than uh, they the support they would have expected from the federation so the us is more focused inward 
um, and that is why uh, as a result of its protectionist policies and some other um, paranoia regarding Iran and China now the fact that they continue to call it the Wuhan coronavirus or CCP virus etc so obviously um, in the security community uh, rhetoric is the last resort of uh, people who uh, just have to vent out their frustration and it is clear that the US is frustrated with uh, China its military and intelligence leadership does not have conclusive evidence to pin the blame on China but uh, the, the political leadership thinks that by trying to um, ogle China like this they would be able to uh, take some burden off their de declining image. So this uh, message of defiance by Xi and Putin to each other uh, merits attention and the fact that this is the second call within the same month shows that um, the two major leaders of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in the whole of Asia are committed to uh, uh, upholding their mutual trust and support and this is a message which fares well for uh, the immediate neighborhood which includes Pakistan. Coming to the next topic which is uh, geopolitical actors rush to aid Sri Lanka amidst COVID-19. So basically I have compiled two different uh, pieces of information. The first is that obviously China was the first to rush to Sri Lanka and provide them with the supplies to combat COVID. Uh, between late March and early April, the Chinese government and companies involved in major projects in Sri Lanka donated large quantities of masks, personal protection equipments, PPEs and testing kits. The companies include China Merchants Port Group which is the parent company of Colombo International Container Terminals and Hamman Tota International Port Group. Then there is the CHEC Port City Colombo, the company behind the project building a financial center on 269 hectares of land reclaimed from the sea. Then there is the Metallurgical Corporation of China, MCC, which has won the contracts to build a number of infrastructure projects, including an airport highway. We, we also have the China National Aerotechnology International Engineering Corporation AVIC-ENG which built infrastructure projects from highways to water supply projects and Huawei including a telecommunications giant with an office in Colombo. The Chinese government for its part apart from these companies has granted a concessionary loan of 500 million dollars to the Sri Lankan leadership to combat coronavirus. Also, apart from this public-private partnership, we have prominently Jack Ma of the Alibaba Group who donated 20,064 detection kits for COVID-19. So this is China on the one hand which since late March. So you have China taking the lead over here in Sri Lanka, very important country for them in terms of not only uh, strategy but also when we talk about are trying to position themselves as uh, a pivot in the uh, connecting the Indian and Pacific Oceans. And just recently after about a month on 16th April, so we have a gap of a month, the Sri Lankan President's Task Force on Essential Services announced that four countries namely US, UK, Australia and Canada agreed to support Sri Lanka in combating COVID. They also appreciated 
the Sri Lankan government's progress thus far. But the, there are no details, they haven't disclosed any details about what this support will be or um, in what form it will be. So there are two aspects to this. First of all, China took the lead late March and rushed to Sri Lanka before the US or any other country or India for that matter also could try to shore up support and boost their medical diplomacy initiatives. And these four countries, the US, UK, Australia and Canada, now from these four countries, two of them, the US and Australia are members of the Quad and they have uh, strategic concerns in the what they call the Indo-Pacific region of which Sri Lanka is a critical component uh, apart from India and they've agreed to support Sri Lanka but how and why did they respond so late this is uh, completely attributable to this very strange bureaucratic lag which you witness in the US establishment as also the Indian establishment for, but for imp uh, impressive reasons the Indian establishment has been quite uh, uh, rapidly reactive to reach uh, reaching out to countries in the Indian Ocean region and immediate neighborhood like Bhutan, Seychelles, Mauritius, Afghanistan but when it comes to the US now where was their attention fixed and now it took them a month it took them a whole month to reach out to Sri Lanka and this is you can't blame this on uh, the CCP this is clearly the uh, uh, this delayed response is clearly an indicator that the US is too deeply entrenched in, uh, in the internal divide resulting from uh, the federations uh, in in uh, capacity to manage uh, the novel coronavirus uh, relief efforts and this is where China because of its centrist com uh, leadership its unified command structure across the whole political military spectrum they were able to take a decisive stand and reach out to Sri Lanka before anyone else could so this bodes well not just for China's soft power image but also for its long-term strategic security interests vis-a-vis -vis Sri Lanka. And I'm sure the Rajapaksas will remember this, the President and the Prime Minister, for a long time to come. And this is why um, efforts by uh, Alice Wells or Lisa Curtis or all to uh, cozy up to Sri Lanka or try to woo them on their side and offer them incentives, all of them go down the drain because when calamity strikes you need help and the first person to help you out is the one who is the messiah so in Sri Lanka's case uh, when we talk about foreign uh, actors or geopolitical actors China is the messiah coming to the last piece for this uh, episode it's not really security related it's more of a technological news but obviously uh, when technology uh, becomes a component of multinational and multilateral cooperation then it tends to assume some sort of geopolitical understanding as well so I would like to mention this uh, interesting development about the blue Raman cable being developed by Google 
Google is planning a 400 million dollar submarine cable Blue Raman uh, which would connect India and Italy via Israel and it is expected to be completed by 2022 so within two years so how this works is that according to the details published by Haritz newspaper of Israel uh, the cable will originate in Mumbai India travel across the Indian Ocean and an unspecified overland country before ending at Aqaba in Jordan and uh, Haritz believes that Saudi Arabia could be the unidentified country so from Mumbai to Indian Ocean to Saudi Arabia and onwards to Jordan at Aqaba Jordan so that will be the Raman cable so from Mumbai till Aqaba that would be the Raman cable named after the famous um, Indian scientist Raman and then that cable will link with the blue portion of the cable developed by Telecom Italia Sparkle which will go through Israel along the Mediterranean and land at Genoa in Italy now Haritz newspaper believes that the blue and Raman portions of the cable have been intentionally split for a geopolitical objective and that is obviously they do not want um, any portion of the Israel uh, and Saudi uh, cables to be interconnected and they want to keep them distinct um, this belief does sound uh, rational and uh, understandable and uh, the one assume one believes that this is uh, the case and uh, this also for its part shows that uh, connecting India to Italy via Israel is ignoring the Red Sea part which is the uh, Suez Canal which, which uh, in Egypt uh, according to analysts which I've who I've studied online they say that the Suez Canal is too shallow for internet cables and it has become a mess for existing uh, submarine cable operators in the area so the fact that they are bypassing all of that and reportedly going through Saudi Arabia and Israel towards the Medi and onwards to the Mediterranean to Italy is interesting just to give you some additional context I, for those who have been observing Pakistan's technology sector you must have heard about the private Pakistani company Cybernet uh, which signed an MOU with Peace Cable to increase Pakistan's internet capacity by 96 terabytes per second so the Peace Cable is basically um, a strategic project under um, the, uh, the public-private partnership model of China and it stands for basically Pakistan and East Africa Connecting Europe PEACE it is 12,000 kilometers long privately owned which provides an open flexible and carrier neutral service for customers adopting the latest 200G technology and WSS technology so the, uh, as far as peace cable system is concerned it lands in Pakistan Djibouti and goes through Egypt and Kenya to France so it will connect uh, Asia with Africa and Europe but uh, if you note that this will pass through Egypt whereas uh, Blue Raman by India will pass um, through Israel 
and the Mediterranean into Italy. So obviously, when it comes about uh, um, a superiority in technology and the connectivity of um, uh, more efficient connectivity, then Blue Roman obviously stands to benefit as compared to the P system, unless uh, there is a proper mechanism in place. There are no further details about uh, how exactly the landing point in Egypt will be handled because the traffic from Pakistan will first go to Kenya and then Egypt. So this is something which needs to be kept in mind that from Kenya to Egypt and onwards to France, how will that take place? Uh, let's see. Uh, there is expected to be um, the fact that um, uh, the um, Indian and um, Italian technologies which are going to be involved supported by Google will obviously stand to benefit more and the fact that Google is building it. Now keep in mind you can talk about various countries building it, private companies but this is Google. Google is an international uh, ICT powerhouse uh, and uh, the fact that it is building it itself, it is a self-initiated project, um, is trying to give or accord uh, importance for India as uh, a trusted ICT hub in the region. Uh, and once this project is completed, then obviously you would expect further collaborations and uh, mutual understandings between Google and the Indian technology powerhouse and uh, there would be uh, you can expect several um, agreements with regards to um, conducting workshops and tra transferring technologies and trying to uh, this is resilient and shared infrastructure uh, Google has already uh, huge stakes in India so now this um, submarine cable system so Google will have uh, an internet dependence on India as well coming from Mumbai and Mumbai obviously is the place where uh, uh, the Indian establishment accused Pakistan of trying to uh, carry out uh, so-called terrorist attacks so this is um, something Mumbai becoming a regional hub, uh, IT hub and Google starts from there and then its internet services go to Saudi Arabia if at all Saudi Arabia is the country which will provide uh, an uh, overland facility and then from Israel to Mediterranean to Italy. Uh, Google is clearly including India in its uh, regional connectivity project and as far as the internet uh, infrastructure is concerned this boards very well for India because um, they don't just have confidence from uh, regional states they have the confidence of international ICT giants as well which Pakistan does not and as far as Pakistan is concerned our in internet infrastructure is extremely weak uh, it is not able to cope with the coming requirements post COVID and this is where Blue Raman project uh, provides more bandwidth for Indian users. Now obviously uh, post Corona uh, the world will get more interconnected through cyberspace, virtual conferences, online classrooms etc etc 
and so you need those added systems and connectivity assurances uh, to provide internet access for your common citizen and uh, this is where India would stand in a better position it already has a significant number of submarine cables as compared to Pakistan uh, which has a very uh, one can say a disappointing ICT infrastructure and almost all of its internet traffic it lands uh, its uh, landing stations are in Karachi so if uh, God forbid in a future scenario if for some reason the uh, internet uh, station in Karachi they are disrupted or Karachi has to be kept in a lockdown or they are unable to repair any sort of submarines landing in uh, cables landing in Karachi then that would disrupt the entire country's uh, internet architecture whereas India now has the Blue Raman project also as another addition to its uh, ambitions to ensure connectivity for its own people and uh, acquire communications uh, advantage again, uh, in the region so for India uh, this is uh, a win-win not just in terms of general connectivity but also the fact that it has uh, during these times and despite the lockdown the inhumanity against people of uh, Indian occupied Jammu and Kashmir despite global calls by Amnesty and other forums despite global calls by Pakistan and the organization of Islamic cooperation to uplift uh, the ban on uh, 3G, 4G technologies in uh, Indian occupied Jammu and Kashmir and the general internet lockdown over there they've only allowed 2G and that also in some places Google is still investing in India so this speaks volumes obviously so uh, not just uh, the world isn't just uh, not giving any two hoots to Pakistan on uh, its Kashmir narrative but also from the technology narrative so Google has overlooked the fact that India is not abiding by its humanitarian commitments to allow people of uh, Indian occupied Jammu and Kashmir access to the internet unrestricted access to the internet but they've overlooked that because they want business from India they want business in India so this is something which uh, I think our foreign policy establishment also needs to consider and uh, take into account this is a project worth following and once again let me remind you this is Google investing this is not a particular country or this is not a joint venture between different uh, private entities in uh, India and elsewhere so that's all for this uh, uh, edition of the Pakistan Geostrategic Review I apologize for some distractions in between um, uh, I have also the fact that uh, for some reason I didn't uh, realize that my uh, throat is not functioning properly so apologies for that as well and once again if you have any feedback or suggestions please uh, mail me your comments at parkgeostrategicreview at protonmail.com or you can follow the twitter handle at the rate pgrpodcast so that's twitter.com slash pgrpodcast and parkgeostrategicreview at protonmail.com that's it for this edition uh, this is your host Zaki Khalid signing off until next time inshallah take care assalamualaikum